Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here on the Baseball America College Podcast uh, in late August. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a very slow time in the college baseball calendar. But we are, we are continuing to come at you once a week throughout the offseason. And this week, we will be joined a little bit in a little bit by Texas A&M coach Jim Schlossnagel. We're going to talk we're going to talk Aggie baseball. Uh, of course the Aggies are coming off of a College World Series trip this summer, uh spring season whatever in Jim Schlossnagel's first year in College Station and uh lots some player turnover of course uh since then but they have high expectations going into 2023 as well. Uh so we're going to get into all of that today. Uh, on this edition of the Baseball America College podcast with our Clubhouse Conversation series. Uh, Jim Schlossnagel will be the third coach to join us. Uh, we've already had Virginia Tech's John Sheff and Arkansas's Dave Van Horn in the, in the series. So if you're looking for those interviews, uh, you can go back through the, uh, the archives on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts and find those, uh, those episodes. And while you're at it, uh, you might as well subscribe because we're going to be doing this uh, every week throughout the off season. So we're hoping to get about uh, 20 different programs or so represented here uh, in this uh, clubhouse conversation series. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been fun so far. I, I think Joe and I have been enjoying it. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying it. And uh, if you have ideas, feel free to uh, let Joe and me know on Twitter at Ted Cahill, at Joe Healy, BA, ideas of, of guests you would want to see. We have our list, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's an evolving list, and uh, we, can, we can certainly take suggestions there uh, as well. I know I've been enjoying it, Joe, and, and uh, the, the Jim Schlossnagel interview, which, spoiler alert, we've already done, I think is, uh, is another good one here. Yeah, it is. it's just a good time to, I think his was – his was an interesting conversation. I mean, they're in an interesting place where I think last year, at least outside expectations just got blown out of the water and they have more returning this year, but are, are still being aggressive in the transfer portal. There's just kind of a lot of interesting stuff going on there. And so it's good to, to chat with him. And this time of year is always a, a good time to, to catch these coaches and talk with them a little bit, kind of just about the generalities because they don't really have teams until we get actually into the team portion of fall. We're not going to have any sort of roster specifics to talk about. So we're, we're just talking big picture generalities and that's a good thing for this time of year. And so it's uh it is kind of in a, you mentioned kind of being a slow time. It, we are like fully in the transitional period now where summer ball is over and shout out to those summer ball warriors who were on the field up until like last weekend in some cases, I think, I think I saw some summer ball stuff still happening. So, last the Northwoods was definitely happening last weekend. And 
and, and look, the Northwoods coach, is never not happening. Basically, that's right. Yeah, the Northwoods is so, so yes. So, so every day, somewhere in the northern, in the upper Midwest, there is a Northwoods game happening. I can guarantee you. And I know, like, I, I see this on Twitter all the time, where where someone will crack a joke about how extensive the Northwoods schedule is, and and whatnot. And and some some coach will will come back and and be a little defensive about it and say like, oh, these players are still just getting better and they're still having fun. And and like, I don't doubt that. Like I, I, I totally get that. Like th- those players are there to have an experience too. And, and the, the, there are moments where that's fun and, and those players are probably getting better in some cases, but like, it is just kind of crazy that there is a certain subset of player. And, and as the summer goes on, the, the teams tend to be a little more with some exceptions tend to be a little more local, you know, so it's not quite as extreme, but there are players who are going to finish a summer league season, pack their bag, head home and like go to class the next day or two days later or something. And, and that's just a, a tough transition there. But we are we are in that transitional period between that, between that and the actual start of fall. But I've seen some tweets that, you know, players back on the field for individual work this week. I know I've talked to some coaches who are who are back at it this week with individual work. So things are starting to stir a little bit, but what we really are kind of in that in that gap between the summer ball session and, and, and fall ball, which, um, you know, based on some of the conversations I've had with coaches, uh, just in recent weeks, it, it does sound like fall ball is returning to after last year, it came back a little bit. And I don't know if it'll return to a full 2019 type of, of look, but, um, I am kind of hopeful based on conversations I've had that we will get a little more of a full fall game slate this year of, of actual teams playing teams in the fall as opposed to just interest squads and, and some coaches have different viewpoints on that some don't some just don't do them period and, and others are really big on them so but I'm kind of hopeful we get a more of a return to that because last year it felt like it was kind of kind of in between obviously uh, whereas in, in the fall we didn't have any uh, fall of 2020 we didn't have any so anyway long story short definitely a transitional time but no time like that transitional time to have these kinds of big picture conversations with these coaches. I think we are going to get uh, some fall ball games. So if you're like like a full return, so if you're into that, uh, can start looking. Uh, some schools have started announcing them. I've seen so. Yeah, uh, UNC Wilmington today. Couple a couple of good ones. Liberty. Yeah, that was Liberty in, my email. in Wilmington in mid October, and then late October they're going to Clemson. Couple couple of good ones there. So there's, you know, there's um, you know, it, the thing is, like I know I'm more into fall ball than you are, um, but for me like having been to these fall games, having been to inter squads, like at least with the fall games and those tend to be what I try to shoot for. I will go to inter squads, but I tend to shoot for because at least then you're kind of getting, there's a little more competitive juice flowing. You can just kind of tell in those situations and you're getting to see both, you know, two different teams in one. So you get a little more bang for your buck, all that. So that's, you know, that tends to be more what I'm again, I'll go to an inter squad. I'm not above it, but having actual competition, even if it is just kind of a, you know, a little bit looser uh, is, is much preferred over the alternative. There's also uh, sometimes more literal bane for your buck because almost nobody plays nine innings in, uh, in these games. <laughs> yeah. I love 14, 16. I, I have been trapped at ballparks for a long, long time at some of these things. Like they really start to, and some of them really devolve, right? Like they'll play nine straight up and then they'll do like a couple of just, like rolling innings where it's like, Hey, we're just going to give this, we just want this guy to throw 35 pitches, like regardless of how many outs happen or run score. And then, then the next three innings after that are situational where we're going to start with runners on first and second, and we're going to play it like there's no outs. Like, so they, they sometimes can also, depending on how 
formal or informal they are, they can actually devolve into something that only kind of resembles baseball. Indeed. Well, that's what we have looking forward or to look forward to starting in September. That's really when the uh, fall ball really gets going around the country. So we'll certainly get to that then. Um, We're in a period where there's not a whole lot of news happening. Um, There has been, there there were a couple interesting moves, I guess, Joe, uh, from a coaching standpoint. One is that Monty Lee is back in South Carolina. Uh, He was hired to be an assistant coach. Of course, he has been at Clemson as the head coach for several years um, before being fired at the end of this season. College of Charleston as a head coach for a few years before that. And before that, he was part of Ray Tanner's staff in South Carolina. So now he's back as a part of Mark Kingston's staff. Um, Seeing the other side of the rivalry again. Uh, that move happening because Chad Kelly, um, Kaye rather, uh, South Carolina's recruiting coordinator and hitting coach, uh, is leaving uh, South Carolina and kind of the coaching industry as a whole for for now. I think um, that opened that the spot for uh, for Monty to to go back to Columbia. Uh, we also had Gino Damari gain a contract extension through twenty twenty six. Uh, at Miami, a three-year deal. His contract was due to expire at the end of next season. Uh, so he now has has an extension. Those are a couple of the bigger moves. A um, couple other extensions. Mike Bell got an extension at Pittsburgh. But the Monty Lee thing, um, if for no other reason than the the rivalry aspect of that, is uh, is maybe the most interesting one. But uh, if, if you have any reaction to any of that, Joe, we, we've, uh, we've, we, we can hit on some of those moves here. I mean, just quickly, the Gino Damari extension, I mean, it, it seems like that's that's probably, um, like, I know there was disappointment over losing in a home regional, and I think there's kind of a general feeling among the Miami faithful that, that per, and I don't even think it's a feeling, I just think there, there are a lot of examples of, of that program just kind of underachieving, um, pretty good in the regular season, struggling in the postseason, and even in the regular season, maybe not quite, you know, living up to, to advanced billing. So I think there's a general feeling of that. So I know there's some antsiness in that fan base, but, but look, that team was undeniably a lot better last year than they had been. And they happened to get the eventual national champions in their regional. Um, so that's obviously in hindsight, an extremely tough draw and was a tough draw in general, right? Cause they also got Arizona in that regional, which was a team that you and I talked about a lot during the regular season as, Hey, this team should probably be hosting, but they just can't seem to get out of their own way. Um, so that was a tough draw in general. So like, and I, I get that that sound, might sound like an excuse, but it's reality. So that team was just a lot better. So I think rewarding him with that to kind of keep that ball rolling, I think was probably, probably the right move there. Um, yeah, I, my, I think we ahead. can stay with him for a second. I, I think that it was definitely deserved contract extension. Uh, but I do also understand where fans of that program might be coming from looking at it and saying, okay, so take out 2020. He's been there for three seasons, uh, four years, 2020 doesn't count. Well, but three times they've been to regionals without getting out of regionals. And look, you do have to remember that Miami had missed in back-to-back years before he took over. Um, so he is coming from that standpoint, but that program to not have made a super regional now in like six years. Like it's a, it's, it's a bit of a lengthy lull. And obviously he's not like, he wasn't the head coach when they missed in both years, but 
Uh, it's it's been a minute since Miami's been Miami, and it looked for a while like this year might be that year, and then they faded down the stretch and got caught by Virginia Tech uh, in the ACC, and then didn't get out of a home regional. So I, it just it did not end the way they wanted it to this year, and they they are eventually going to have to take a step up. But this is also the same guy that uh, you know brought in the number one recruiting class two years ago. So I, there's a lot of reason for optimism, and this year was definitely the best year that they've had under him and since they went to the world series in, in 2016. So a lot of reasons to feel good about it, but like also they are going to feel like they need to continue to get better, that this can't be where they're at. I think that's right. You know, and he, he's kind of a Gino Damari is, I feel like gets some kind of, um, gets criticism that I think sometimes is like the, the it's fair that they haven't been to a super regional under him. And like that, if you want to levy that criticism, that's fair. I also think he gets more criticism than he should, or should I, maybe I should better say it as he doesn't get enough credit for what he brought back to the program as an assistant. Right. So yes, they missed regionals the last couple of years of Jim Morris's tenure while Gino was an assistant there, but there was a gap there where he left the program after 2008, didn't come back until 2012. Um, but those years in kind of in the immediate aftermath of Gino Damari coming back brought in those recruiting classes that led to Miami getting to Omaha and back-to-back years in 2015 and 2016. And so like, and while I was not in the room when that stuff happens, I, I was not a fly on the wall in the Miami baseball offices, but I don't think it is crazy to draw a direct line to, Hey, Gino returns to the program. They start recruiting at this higher level. Remember, you know, Zach Collins and Willie Abreu, um, you know, guys like that in that program, um, you know, they, they get back to Omaha a few years later. Like, I don't think it's crazy to, to, to draw a direct line between those, those things. And so I think he also deserves credit for just now we're going on a decade of, you know, Miami recruiting at a high level. Um, you know, you have the, the two Omaha trips that yes, they're getting further in the rearview mirror, but two Omaha trips that he helped bring to the table. And now it seems like maybe they've hit a new level in terms of at least regular season success. So, it's just complicated. Like, I guess that's the way it should be said is like kind of his, the way he's thought of right now by the Miami faithful, I think is kind of complicated for a lot of different reasons, but you know, with the extension, he's going to get a little more time here. And I think that part is deserved. Um, what I was going to say on Monty Lee is like all of what you said, like obviously that the rivalry piece of this is interesting and unique and all of that. I do think it is a little bit amazing. Monty Lee, someone who was born in South Carolina and played at college at Charleston has been in college coaching now for 22 years and he's been at four different schools and still has yet to leave the state of South Carolina. Like that's just kind of hard to do, <laughs> you know, yes, as, yes. As, as someone, cause it's not the biggest state, like you could do this in Texas, right? And like nobody would bat an eyelash, but to do it in South Carolina and at four different schools, like it's just kind of an amazing run of being able to just stay within the state where he's always been. And especially, like I said, for someone who's been as successful as he's had, right. As he's been right. Like a great run as an assistant at South Carolina, then very successful as a head coach at college of Charleston, which got him the opportunity at Clemson for him to not end up somewhere else, just in the Southeast, even just generally in the Southeast, like is, is kind of amazing. I, I definitely would agree with that. And, um, I know he was hoping to be able to stay in the state and now he is. And look, it's a big year for South Carolina. Um, just in terms of uh, trying to reset after last year, a lot of injuries, a lot of new players coming in. Uh, so we'll see what, uh, 
what Monty Lee is able to bring to that program, but certainly having him around, he knows what it takes to win in Columbia um, has to be seen as a, as a positive for the Gamecocks th- this year. And we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes this, uh, this fall and, and into the spring. All right. Uh, with that, let's, uh, let's not take any further time here and let's get to, uh, let's get to our interview with Jim Schlossnagel. The Aggies, of course, coming off of uh, a really exceptional 2022 season that saw them get to Omaha and win a couple games in Omaha, which uh, for that program is uh, was certainly a long time coming as well. The AM has a rich baseball history, but it doesn't include a whole lot of success in Omaha. But th- this uh, AM team uh, really played well down the stretch um, and in getting to, to the College World Series. And then once they got to Omaha, uh, so we're going to talk with uh, with Jim Slosnagel about that and uh, start looking ahead to 2023. We'll do that here on the Baseball America College podcast in our Clubhouse Conversation series in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today on the Baseball America College Podcast, we are very happy to be joined by Texas A&M coach Jim Schlossnagel. The Aggies uh, in Jim Schlossnagel's first year made it to Omaha, and quite the first season there you had in College Station, Coach. We're happy to have you here on the podcast to talk about that and look a little ahead to 2023 already. It's coming fast. Uh, Very exciting times here in, in, uh, in College Station, though. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're super excited. Uh, obviously, you know, what has gone down here in the last year uh, has really been neat. It's been an awesome experience. Every ounce of credit goes to the, our players uh, predominantly and and coaching staff. But uh, it's been fun it's re- reigniting a, a great program and an awesome fan base. So we have a lot of momentum and both on and off the field. So ready to uh, get school started this fall and and start putting the team back together. As we record this, you've been at AM for about 14 months now. Uh, as you reflect back on that time, what uh what stands out to you and and what have you what have you learned since uh since moving to to college station? 
Well, I mean, number one, I've learned that Bryan College Station is a really great place to live. I, I, I've loved every place I've ever lived. Uh, the Carolinas, um, New Orleans, Las Vegas, Fort Worth is awesome. Uh, but I've just really, I've really enjoyed this experience at, you know, at this time in my life, um, it's way more than a college town, uh, but it's certainly based, everything is based on the Aggies. So that's a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of, uh, I'm sorry, what was your question about what have I learned or yeah, just reflections on, on your time really first yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it was just, you know, considering where we started, you know, there was, there was a time there was a couple of weeks right after the, I took the job where it was just myself and, and, uh, Jason Hutchins, our, our, uh, ops guy and, and Will Fox who does the video. And so you really start starting from the ground up, uh, in terms of hiring a staff and then, you know, scrambling to put together a roster and then trying to get those, all those personalities from different places, transfers, uh, returning players, you know, just the, pro just the entire process of, creating a unified team that was aligned towards, you know, what we wanted to do. And, and, uh, and that was just, you know, be successful, whatever that would become, you know, and to say, obviously the goal was always to win a national title. Um, that'll never change. However, you know, given the fact that A&M didn't make the conference tournament in 2021, uh, that was in preseason. I think we were picked 13th. I don't know where you guys had us, but, I know at one point we were 13th out of 14 in the SEC, and um, and then you just look up and you and by the end of the year you're SEC West champion and you know finishing third or whatever in the College World Series. So I think you know that was just the entire process of of that new staff, great synergy among our coaching staff, really neat players, really neat personalities, uh, and then the fans. Right, anytime you'd come to a place like this. Um, where you have 100 and, 106 to 110,000 people at football games and and then our basketball team went on a great run. And, and then once we really got it going in baseball and we kind of moved some things around and, and tried to add to what was already a good atmosphere and try and make it better and, and maybe bring it uh, to, to a few more modern things to the great traditions that a place like A&M has and you know, that, that was, that was a unique experience because we were, there was some conflict, right. And, uh, when you're at a place who's, it's been, uh, successful for a long time, they're, they're resistant to change, but we eventually found our way. And, and by the end of the year, you know, in the regional, the super regional, this was, uh, you, you had the traditions of Texas A&M, which will never change. And, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to be here. Uh, but you also had, you know, just this great atmosphere, a tough place for the opponent. Um, and you know, the fans locked into every single pitch. So it wasn't just winning baseball game. It's, it was changing the momentum and the course of an entire, you know, program and, and a culture. And, and, uh, so it's definitely fun to look back upon. Um, but it's over with, right. And at least the, the team portion. So, um, we're just going to have to try and build on that and, and continue to get good players in here and, and stay consistent with our messaging and stay consistent with our culture. You alluded to some of it there in your answer, but that you guys were really starting from, from scratch at this time, a little more than a year ago. And 
in all of that, you know, new staff, a lot of new players, plus, you know, bring, you know, uh, bringing back a number of players who were playing under the previous staff. I heard you talk about a little bit of this in, in Omaha, but for those who maybe didn't hear all that, what was it kind of that process like of, of getting everyone uh, singing from the same songbook, if you will, and making sure everybody's on the same page? Because that that's not always an easy thing to do when you're dealing with 35 different personalities plus a different staff. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, every coach has to do that every year. I mean, especially now there's so much so much, uh, you know, transition on, on most every team, or I should say attrition, uh, you know, with the transfer portal and the draft and everything that every college coach has to deal with, whether you're in your first year or whether you're in your 20th year, the beauty of being, you know, in your fifth or 10th or 15th or 18th year, like I was at TCU. And now our second year is you want the players who have been in your culture, who, you know, you want those, eventually you want it to be what we call, you know, coach fed and player led. Um, whereas last year it was predominantly, and especially in the fall, it was the coach's voice you heard all the time. And, and, uh, but we, we spent a lot of time on culture. We spent a lot of time on connection. I know those teams sound, those terms sound coachy, but they're real. And, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of bunt defense you have or you're pitching your pickoff plays or any of that other, the baseball stuff. If, if there isn't connection in the locker room and there isn't synergy among the team. And so I think that, I think what we did a good job of was just being very honest and transparent and just saying, Hey, we all came from somewhere else. Uh, the guys who are from somewhere else, including the coaching staff, we all came here to do something special. Everybody who was in the program, you guys could have left. You stayed here to do something special. And those players are to be The returning players are really to be credited the most um, because they, uh, you know, they, they were selfless. They, they just wanted to win. And some of these guys, you know, they, they maybe were anticipating getting to move into a starting role or something like that. And, and maybe they got beat out or maybe they didn't, but they remain committed. And I, what, what I like to say is we, we were the most imperfect, perfect team that I've ever coached. Right. We didn't, our starting pitching wasn't great. It certainly wasn't consistent. Uh, we didn't play. We had some injuries. Uh, I thought we were going to be a really good defensive infield, and we ended up being a bad defensive infield uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, we did have a really good offense, um, but we played together. We played for each other. Uh, there was a common bond, and I think that really carried us a long way, And uh, along with the 12th man. I mean, the 12th man, our fan base is certainly to be credited for a lot. So, but but you know, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. That's you. You don't do that in one meeting, right? It's just the compounding effect of staying committed to growing and maintaining and defining and building your culture and your synergy throughout the course of of the year. And and then as you go through shared adversity during the season, um, it, it it can go one way or the other. It can go backwards or it can move forward. And one stat I didn't even know this until I looked yesterday. Um, we only lost back-to-back games one time. Uh, we won game one in Alabama and then lost Saturday and Sunday. And then we didn't lose back-to-back games the rest of the season, even in Omaha. So that, 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 that says a lot about a team, especially in this conference, um, to, you know, respond from a negative, you know, pretty quickly. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the SEC and SEC West put four teams in the college world series. Uh, you've seen the SEC from afar. Now 
for the last year you've been a part of it. What have you learned from that first year in the conference? Well, you know, I want to show a lot of respect to the other places that I've coached. I mean, the Big 12 is certainly a very good conference. You know, the top, the upper echelon teams in, in the conference, uh, there's no question, you know, they're, I mean, the Oklahoma States, the, you know, Texas Tech, uh, obviously Oklahoma, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, those schools, uh, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out, but just, you know, those, we all know who those are. Um, those schools are going to compete uh, in, in, in any conference. Um, the thing I learned about the SEC, number one, it's super fun to be a part of a league that um, is so committed to college baseball, no matter where you go. You may have a little bit smaller atmosphere like at Vanderbilt, but it's still a great atmosphere. And then you go to the other big places, especially the SEC West that we all know. Um, so just the just the life experience of being in those environments, the fans either cheering for you or against you. Um, but mainly what I learned is just the overall depth of the conference. Um, I mean, Kentucky and Alabama, that I don't think they made a regional, right? Those were two of the teams out at the end. Um, if you'd have told me during the SEC tournament, Kentucky and Alabama were going to make it to the College World Series, I would say, okay, yeah, I, I can totally see that happening. Um, so there are no weeks off. Uh, even in, even in the Big 12, because of uh, Iowa State not having baseball, there are bye weeks. So you can even schedule an off week if you wanted to in, in, in some conferences. But once you start this thing, man, it's it really is. I found myself on Sunday nights and all, m most of the day on Monday, literally physically and mentally exhausted from because every single game, and maybe it was just our team, maybe it was just our, my first year, maybe it was the fact that we didn't play good defense or didn't have great starting pitching. We'll, let's, we'll see. But I, I was just physically and mentally exhausted and because, because we seemed like we were one pitch away from winning every game and one pitch away from losing every game, which is most games in college baseball. But um, so to answer your question, the, the overall talent of the players, obviously you have some of the premier coaches in the history of our sport that are in this conference. And, um, it's just a, it really is a, it's Ray Tanner told me one time, uh, when I was considering another job in this conference, I asked him why he left North Carolina state for South Carolina. And this was before the sec was really the sec that it is today. And he said, you know, I just wanted to say I coached in the American League East one time. And that's what it feels like. It feels like Yank the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, you know, every single day. I'm going to transition to talk, uh, ask a couple personnel specific questions as, as you and your, your staff start to look forward to the fall, obviously, which is coming quickly upon us. And then in the next season on your list of kind of items you guys are, are looking at ahead of next season, how high on that list is finding uh, a catcher or a couple of catchers or what have you to, to at least start to try to replace a little bit of what Troy Clonch brought to the table last year. Yeah. I don't think that's replaceable. Um, you, we're, we're just going to have to do things other ways. Um, the two best leaders uh, I've had some great leaders, especially at the catching position, Evan Scow it was, it was in the mix, but the, uh, the, from TCU, but the two best elite leaders that I've ever been around, um, Brian Holiday uh, from TCU, who's, you know, just finished up a great uh, major league career. Um, and then Troy Clonch. And 
uh, I think what was unique about our team last year was Claunch being here and the relationship that was already established between himself and Nate Yeski going back to their time at Oregon State. So that interaction, you know, during the course of games, those two knowing each other, they had their own language. Um, you, you're just not replacing that. You don't, that doesn't hang on trees. Uh, you know, when you look at, I don't know what Coach Van Horn would say about the catcher from Arkansas, but uh, I forget his name, but um, that, that, that guy looked like an, an elite, you know, and of course they've had a run of them. I think the guy before him was, was awesome too. So th- those guys are hard to find, but we have, we have a couple junior college transfers. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a couple freshmen. Um, and I, to, to be honest with you, I haven't seen them play enough. I don't know their personalities enough uh, to know what they're capable of doing. I know they're physically talented. Everybody who comes to this level of baseball is going to be physically talented, but can they handle the pitching staff? Can they handle themselves? Right. So, uh, we're in a completely different scenario this year, and that's a big question mark for us. On the mound, uh, you have some key returners like a like a Detmer. You have to find a way to replace a guy like Jacob Palish, who I, I imagine that's a that's a no way you're going to replace that guy either. Uh, just how do you feel about the the pitching staff as as you look at towards the fall now? Well, there's well, there's no question from an overall depth quality of talent standpoint, we're going to be better. Um, there's no doubt about that when I just, cause I, the guys, even there are some guys that are incoming that I haven't seen pitch yet, except on video, Nolan Kane or Nate Yeski saw them pitch. Um, but there's no question we're going to be more talented. It's whether we're as effective, right. And it's a matter of finding, keeping the right, you know, keeping guys healthy, finding what they do well, fit them into the right role. And then, excuse me, give them a chance to, to be successful. So we didn't know, what Jacob Palace was going to be. Jacob Palace came here from Stanford with a four plus ERA and he was a 88 to 90 fastball with a changeup pitcher. And in his work with Nate Yeski became a guy that went up to 93 and had a decent changeup, but had a real slider. And you look at his statistics when he was at Stanford, he gave up more hits than innings pitched and he struck out fewer hitters than innings pitched. And with us, it was the exact opposite. He, he gave up fewer hits than innings pitch, and he struck out more than innings pitch. So that's a sign. Of, you know, he, he got better here. Nate really helped him out. Jacob went to work. So I think, you know, uh, Joseph Menifee, Moo Menifee was, you know, he had his warts. He had a high number of walks for a reliever, but he was super competitive. He was one of the few veteran pitchers on our team, had a lot of big moments for us. Um so I think I think talent wise, we can replace those guys. But can we replace their grit, their experience? You know, probably not. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Detmer. I have really high hopes for the progression of Ryan Prager, really high hopes for the progression of uh, of Chris, uh, Chris Cortez specifically. Um, those, you know, the Cortez and and, uh, and Detmer really uh, we need you know, those those guys have a chance to be elite pitchers if they continue to develop and, and I, and I know they will, and then you throw in the other guys. So we'll see. Um, but our success was really based on the three lefties out of the bullpen last year. And two of those are gone. Will Johnston's back. Uh, I think he's got a chance to play a huge role. Um, but there's no doubt Menifee and Menifee and Palace are what really made our pitching staff past Detmer. 
generally on the on the position player side, I mean, how exciting is it to, to be working from a, a little bit of a position of strength? I think it's six regulars back in the fold. And a couple of those guys, frankly, were, were guys maybe you, you thought might, might be gone to the draft. So, you know, how exciting is that unit bringing back some experience there as you move forward? Yeah, I mean, our, you know, there's no question. I, I like our recruiting class, but our our three biggest recruits were uh, were uh, Trevor Werner, um, Brett Minnick, and and Austin Boast. Um, you know, you just those for the, those guys are all super talented players. Um, they're all they all had the opportunity to play professional baseball had they been signable in the right spot. Um, but they also value their experience at Texas A and M, and and I think they. They had such a great time last year and felt like we left something on the table, uh, even though we weren't expected to be in Omaha. Um, you know, when you get there, you want to win the thing. So getting those guys back, was ju- it's just massive. And um, I'm not afraid to hide the fact that, you know, we we recruit our own players. I, you know, and I think in today's college baseball, uh, the best coaches do that. And if they have an op- if a guy has an opportunity that's really, really good in his junior year, to go out and play professional baseball and give up those last couple semesters um, because it's really hard to come back and finish. And a lot of guys don't, um, then that's great. That's awesome. We'll encourage them and, and support them and root for them all the way to the major leagues. But uh, the guys that are kind of in between um, we have, we have very strong opinions about, you know, what we think the, the best course of action is. And ultimately it's their decision, but uh, yeah, we're really excited to have them back. Werner, in my opinion, you know, I, he's an SEC player of the year type candidate uh, because he's that physically talented. He just hasn't stayed healthy, uh, whether it be because of the COVID season, uh, whether it be because of, uh, you know, the injuries that he's that he's been through. And so I have huge hopes for, hopes for him. Austin Boast, one of the most competitive hitters that I've ever coached. Um, and he he played he missed two months leading up to the season in the weight room with a bad back. So. You know, he's a guy that hit double-digit homers the last two years. I think he's a guy, if he can have a full year in the weight room, and obviously he's going to be close to 23 years old. I mean, that, I mean that's a guy that you can see hit, hitting 15 to 18 home runs. And and in our offensive system, you can go back and look at his his walks are up, his strikeouts were down, his, uh, you know, base running, everything is better. And, uh, and then Minnick played most of the year. He just had a couple of weeks ago, he had a uh, sports hernia surgery. He was playing – you know, the last two thirds of the season with it. And, he, and he's a guy that can run. So if he, we can get him back healthy uh, a year stronger, a year better, you know, faster. Um, you, you talk about those three guys and Targotch and Jack Moss. I mean, that's five pretty dang good offensive players to build around. Uh, so we're excited about that core. You uh, you talked about the 12th man, how important that is uh, and, and was this last season. You've been uh, working to do some renovation work on the on the ballpark and everything. Where are you with all of that? And uh, just w- what's the experience been like with that? Well, the 12th man is just uh, you from the outside, you don't understand it. And from the inside, you can't explain it. And it's uh, it really is such a neat thing. It's unlike there are a lot of great fan bases in the country. Uh, there are a lot of great fan bases in this conference, uh, but this is very unique. Uh, the traditions, obviously people have seen yell practice at fo- prior to football games and, and uh, you know, the war hymn and the, sw- the swaying back and forth on the psalm off thing. Um, it's just been really awesome uh, for me personally to just dive into that culture and, 
and learn the history behind everything that's involved with the 12th man and, and, and the traditions of Texas A&M. So uh, we've all done that as a coaching staff. Um, and I think, I think our fans feel that and they appreciate that, you know, Aggies, Aggies appreciate people that, that, that want to be an Aggie and, and, and dive into all those things. So um, that first of all has been a great experience. And then uh, there's just no question that, you know, we are, we are behind when it comes to facilities and in this conference, it, it, it can happen quick and we have a good facility, but in this league, uh, you know, there's some of the premier situations in all of college baseball. So we're looking to expand our stadium to somewhere between, you know, 12 and 15,000 seats. Uh, we have 70,000 students. We have 510,000 former students within three hours of college station is 25 million people and a lot of them are Aggie fans. So there's, you, you can't tell me uh, no disrespect to the other places in our league that draw those kind of numbers. You can't tell me Texas A&M can't do that. I mean, we're the biggest school of all of them and, uh, and we're close, closest to the biggest city. So that's our, that's our vision. Um, we've started that process. Uh, we'll probably, you know, over the, what we're meeting about every four weeks uh, to design you know, not just a stadium that's going to meet what the SEC West standard, but a, but one that's going to, you know, stand, hopefully stand the test of time because you can't, as soon as you meet the standard, somebody's going to pass it. So um, we're going to be super creative with the space we have, uh, both for the player development, you know, for the student athletes, and and then building something that's really unique to A&M and, and uh, can hold a, a whole heck of a lot of Aggies uh, and, and, and support the 12th man. So we will start to wrap up here with a, a fun question. We like to have a little fun around here. And, and Coach lossnagel has been on a, been on with us recently enough that he's already answered the usual question we ask the coaches at the end, which is to, to talk about their favorite sandwich. So we're going to pivot to something a little bit different. And because he's in Texas and has been in Texas for, for quite some time at this point, we're going to ask him a, a barbecue question because, of course, we are. So for those familiar with the way barbecue joints often work, you go in and you get a, a, what they call a meat and three, which is you get a meat option and then you get three sides. And so... We're going to have Coach Lossnagel describe to us his go-to. Now, it doesn't have to be, Coach, a meat and three necessarily, but just kind of describe to us your your kind of go-to barbecue order or <laughs> what you typically gravitate towards when you end up in a barbecue place. Yeah, so first of all, I went to school in North Carolina, um, and so I'm, I'm actually more of a pork barbecue guy, like a, hmm. Memphis, like a Memphis barbecue or even a Carolina barbecue. In Texas, it's way more beef, um, so your your brisket, you know, stuff like that. So I'm not a big brisket guy. So I would have to say it would come down to either sausage or turkey if I was trying to lean, you know, trying not to be, uh, you know, if I was trying to fit in my uniform, uh, <laughs> I would I would probably go tur- turkey, um, and then no doubt green beans uh, as a side. Um, hoping they would have, you know, I, I got to pick a starch and I'm not a big Mac and cheese guy. So I would go, what do you think here? Maybe some, uh, maybe like, like some sort of hash brown casserole or, Ooh. or, or red potato, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like a, like a fried, pota- not French fries, but like a fried potato type thing, but yep. always, yep. always banana pudding, always banana Ooh. pudding. Right. With it. With now we're a, talking. Yeah. Love that. With a good sweet tea to, to, uh, to, to follow you know, to, to drink, drink it down with. So that would have to be my go-to if I'm in Texas. Wow. 
Yeah, Coach Loss knows what he's doing here. This is uh, that's a <laughs> that's a high level order right there. That's a, <laughs> do you have an opinion on the sauce? I know there's like a, a debate: you have the Carolina based kind of vinegar or mustard base versus you kind of get the the brown sugar based sauces elsewhere. Do you have a sauce preference, or are you kind of light on sauce in general? No, I mean, I, I, I definitely. I, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a soaker. I'm more of a dipper. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not going to just be marinating. You're like all soaked up in it. But I like the brown sugar. You know, that's down here. Um, you know, the vinegar based in North Carolina, uh, is, is solid, but I, but I'll go with the Texas, uh, you know, kind of the brown sugar It's not, not the spicy, just the solid, uh, Texas barbecue sauce. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, now we all have to go out and find some barbecue. So we'll, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. As soon as, you, as soon as you guys come, you guys come to college station and Aggie land, we'll make sure you have some great barbecue. I promise. Well, we appreciate that. And it's going to be a lot of fun watching this Aggie team in 2023 as well. Uh, Very excited to see them get out on the diamond, Uh, whether that's this fall or or this spring, certainly going to be a fun time, certainly was in 2022. And we appreciate you taking some time today to to break it all down for us here. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Appreciate all you do for college baseball. You've been doing it for a long time. And and, uh, the growth of our sport, you know, is uh, has been awesome. And I've said this before, I think we are in the golden years of college baseball. Like it's never been this competitive. It's never, the coaches have never been this good. The the players have never been this good. The facilities continue to grow. And I think with the way the draft is and, and uh, where the NCAA is headed, I think baseball is only going to benefit from that. So um, we should all really enjoy it. And thank you guys. Thank you to Texas A&M coach Jim Schlossnagel for joining us here on the Baseball America College Podcast for our clubhouse conversation series uh joe AM, uh i just a, an incredible season um as they look to to reset i think uh you know they got a lot of interesting pieces coming in uh and, and i like where they sit as we look at 2023 and, and hearing uh coach talk about it like i gotta say like <laughs> i got more excited about them than i had just looking at it at the team on my own. So he is at the very least doing a, a good sales job, but I think there is a lot of reasons to be optimistic if you're an Aggies fan. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it, it, it kind of, um, I guess it snuck up on me in some ways, just because I think I made an assumption and, and, and we had talked about it a little bit during the season that there was last year's transfer class was a mix, right? There, yes, there was Jacob Palish who was going to be one and done. Um, but there's also Jack Moss who was going into his sophomore year, right? So you knew you're getting at least two years out of him. Um, so it, it was really a mix, but still you, when you think about a team that was really heavy in the transfer portal, like A&M was a year ago, like you just kind of make an assumption. I think it stands to reason you make an assumption that like, okay, this is kind of like a, a one-off and then it's like a reset and it didn't really play out that way. Now, some of that was, as we discussed with him, some of that is you, you maybe got some guys back that you thought would be drafted. And so that always helps. Right. But it's also that, yeah, you, you are returning a guy like, like Jack Moss, you know, who is going to be a, a centerpiece or perhaps the centerpiece of your lineup moving forward. And so, and now they've, you know, we, we talked about transfers a couple of different times in, in recent episodes as I'm working on transfer rankings and I'm working on the team rankings now and, and their class is not going to rank as high as the ones last year, as last year's class did, because it's not a star studded, but 
the more I look at it and the more you and I talk about it, it, it makes a little more sense to me. And I was a little bit, maybe critical is not quite the right word, but I kind of looked askance at their class when we talked about transfer classes on the podcast previously, because I looked at it and I was like, okay, like I like some of these players, like Carson Lambert was a really good reliever at USC and maybe he's Jacob Palish 2.0 and, you know, Josh Stewart coming from Texas, like had a really good Cape and he, like, he looks the part of a guy who could be in the rotation next year. So like, there are some nice pieces here, but it looks like a lot of depth pieces. And then the more I've looked at it, the more you and I have talked about it. Now we talked to coach Schlossnagel, like that's what they're looking for is depth pieces. Really? Right. I mean, there are some opportunities here and some of these guys, I think they hope they turn into to stars, but it's a class full of, I think, garnish, if you will. And I don't mean that to be demeaning to them. I just mean it in terms of like, they have the meat and potatoes of their roster largely set. Um, you know, and so they looked to the portal, I think for something a little bit different this time around, they weren't needing to overhaul the roster. They were just looking to put some finishing pieces on it. And I think that's what the goal was here. So, um, had I taken more time to look at it in the moment, like I might've looked at that initially and kind of then looked back at their roster and, and made that conclusion, but it's taken, you know, us talking with him and, and you and I kind of talking to come to that conclusion that they're in a really good place. And so I shouldn't be looking at this transfer class as, trying to do the same thing they did last year, but just not quite as talented a class and look at it more as like, well, these are little extra depth pieces for the most part that they're going to be using next year. And because this class is still that talented, it says something about the talent they already have coming back. One thing that I'm um, pretty intrigued about them moving forward, frankly, not just in 2023 is that if you look at this year's recruiting class and I am looking at AM's recruiting class actively as I work on my recruiting class uh, in the final 2022 rankings now that they're on campus. One thing that they have coming in in uh, pretty significant numbers is um, a lot more athleticism, a lot more speed. Like that seems to be something that they wanted to target. And I think that, first of all, that makes sense for their ballpark. Like they do not have you can hit the ball out at that ballpark, but you know, Joe, you've been there way more than I have. Like the way the early season weather works, it doesn't really play as a why it's not Texas tech, you know, kind of uh, hitters park environment. It, it, it can play more, it can play bigger as a yard. And so having more speed gives you a different look. And I just, I like the idea that they're becoming more multiple to use the football term that we all know and love uh, in their offense that some of these guys like Chase LaVallette, uh, LaViolette rather, and um, Stanley Tucker, some of these guys coming in really can bring speed on the base paths uh, to, to more of the power game and, and everything else that, that they're going to be an offense that can beat you in some different ways. And I don't think that's a one-off. I think that is something that you're going to see from AM moving forward. And I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah. And just, you know, without having the full accounting of it here in front of me, I feel like that's even going back to Rob Childers days, that was a pretty good, um, pretty good formula for them. They, they always had some guys who could hit the ball out of the ballpark in the middle of the order. Jacob house, um, Matt Yingle comes to mind going a little bit further back, but you know, you think of Tyler Naquin and Craig Ratson and guys like that. And those were guys, especially Naquin, he was just such a dynamic player. He could do a lot of different things, but they've tended to have their best teams at AM the last decade plus have tended to have guys like that in the lineup. And so I think that's, that probably is that there's got to be something to that, 
um, being the case, given that and given the way that they're recruiting this time around. And it was a little bit of an aspect that you didn't you didn't see with them last year, but their offense was good enough and was deep enough. And that was the thing about their offense is they had some guys who had really nice years, Jack Moss, Dylan Rock. But it was really more about kind of the the one through nine um, aspect of it and just the relentlessness of that lineup um, that I think really stood out um, stood out most. So if, if they're out here trying to be more athletic going forward, um, you know, that that's going to be a different look. I think as, you know, we, we talked about in that interview, you've got Detmer, you've got Cortez, like they have some intriguing pieces on the mound uh, coming back. Uh, they're just kind of in a different spot on the mound this year than they were a year ago. Uh, so taking all of that together now, Joe, they're ranked 13 in our never too early top 25, too high, too low, just right. Where, where are you at now having had this uh, more time to think about AM specifically? I think if I had to bet, I think as we do the preseason stuff and start to prepare again, I think we'll have them a little bit higher. And some of that is new information, right? Like we, you know, not just having this conversation because that is just like you know it's not new information it's just that we heard it delivered to us um but i think we'll probably have them a little bit higher if i had to guess not a lot higher like uh, but i think we'll probably have them closer to the top 10 if not just inside the top 10 and look this is a team coming off of i mean yes they got to omaha and i think there's maybe some incredulity about them getting to omaha but let's not also forget that this was not a Hey, an SEC team that, Hey, we got into the field at 15 and 15 in the SEC and then just got really hot. This was a team that had the best overall record in the SEC West. Now, yes, it was an SEC West that was jumbled together. (laughs) So it's not like they won 25 SEC games, but had the best record in the SEC West. So they showed it in the regular season and then they went and showed it in the postseason. Like there was just this track record for this team. So, and, and they're returning all that they're returning. We talked about the lineup. Um, you know, the pitching staff is, is returning what is returning. If, if they can just kind of get a guy like, like a Josh Stewart to come in and, and really take to where he left off in the Cape and, and take to, um, being in college station like that obviously makes him even better on that side of the ball. So I, I just think that again, circling back to my original point on them, it's just like, I kind of assumed we'd be looking at A&M at this time right now. If you'd asked me a year ago, like, even if you told me that it went really, really well, I do assume at this time we would have been looking at kind of a different team and we'd be thinking about them. Okay. Last year was great, but now we're actually going to get a real idea of what AM is going to look like under Jim Schlossnagel. And like, I think we have gotten an idea of what they're going to look like and that's all really, really positive. But I just kind of thought this year would be a little bit more of like a resetting or a, you know, kind of a reconfiguring of what it looks like. And maybe we'll see some of that on the field, but there's more carry over here than I think I thought there was going to be. And so I think our expectation should be, be pretty high for what they're going to be. They already are that we have them ranked where they are. But like I said, I think, I think this is a team that when it's all said and done, we're going to have very serious conversations about putting them in the top 10. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I am curious to see how the pitching staff develops over the course of the fall, because some of these pitchers, um, you know, in terms of the transfer class that they took, you can look at them and say like, okay, this is what they're seeing. This is what the metrics say. This is why they're interested in them, but they haven't done it yet. And, you know, the same thing could have been said about some of those guys last year. Like Jacob Palish was not the same pitcher 
at AM that he was at Stanford. Like he was a good pitcher at Stanford, but AM doesn't go to Omaha without him. And he made some pretty significant adjustments with the help of, of Nietzsche there. So who this fall is going to make some adjustments. I, I'm curious to see that. And, uh, you know, when you start gaming out what their lineup looks like, it's a pretty exciting lineup. It's not like the most power that, that you'll find. Um, but maybe that doesn't matter. You know, we talked about their uh, quest to get more athletic and, and maybe that leads to runs in different ways. But I, uh, I do think you're, you're right that coming out of the fall, this, this is probably a team that we're going to be edging up more towards the top 10. And, you know, sometimes I, I am guilty of saying like, well, how many SEC West teams can reasonably be, you know, in the top 10 or the top 15 or the top 25. And then four of them show up in Omaha and maybe I just need to worry less about what they're like, regular season sec west records are that those teams are just what they are they're just really really good uh baseball being played throughout that division i mean i think that's i think that's totally fair and totally right like i think we need to kind of recalibrate that discussion because i think last year was a great example and dave van horn this ties back to something dave van horn said in the interview we had with him a couple weeks ago that there was a lot of talk and we were part of this. There was a lot of talk throughout the meat of the season last year about, Oh, the, the SEC West is, is maybe a little down. And, and we were looking at it by looking at Tennessee, right. Running off, you know, historically good regular season. I and literally I think, wrote at one point that the SEC East was the better division. Yeah. I mean, and that was fair. <laughs> like, I don't think that's in hindsight, it, it like it, you know, doesn't, it doesn't age well, but like in at the time, I think that was fair. Um, and I don't even think Dave Van Horn was saying it was unfair. I just think he he saw what was happening inside the, the belly of the beast, to put it that way. Whereas we were just kind of looking at it on the outside and just looking at the records, right? And like nobody wanted it for a long time. Nobody really seemed to want to take control of the SEC West. And for, for various points, like we looked at, you know, we looked at Arkansas for a long time, right? But we kept sitting here on the podcast and going like, ah, you know, it doesn't look pretty, but Arkansas keeps doing it. And like, but they did that all the way to Omaha, right? And AM was kind of the same way. And so I say all that to say, like, I, I do think we need to kind of recalibrate the way we think about stuff like that, that like, it's just such that we're going to have a hard time differentiating some of these SEC West teams that are really, really talented. And it just might mean that we have to shove that many of them into the top 10 or top 15. And it's one thing, you know, if, if yes, if, if we got to Omaha and there would only be one left standing and there's, you know, just as many teams from the PAC 12 or the ACC or, or big 12, whatever else, but consistently we're seeing that those sec West teams just end up in Omaha. They just figure out how to get there and the sec more generally, but the West in particular last year. And so I just think that's kind of the reality. That just is what it is. Like, and, and we can say it time and time again, up, upside down and sideways about how, the, the 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 evidence is in that that's just the way it is in the sec it's just the, the best league by talent and by results and all of that stuff um and so i think as we start to really try to prognosticate this with the with the rankings and what have you like it, it is just kind of time for us to um interface with that and reflect that in our rankings in a way that maybe we never have before i think that is uh that's a great way to to look at it the West, you know, we've had SEC West coaches on in back-to-back weeks, and that wasn't really intentional, but uh, there are, we want to include almost every SEC West in this Clubhouse Conversation series, 
because all of those programs are just so relevant right now. Um, so we wanted to get a couple of them in early and it just so happened that they, uh, they both got in back to back weeks, but, you know, just looking at Arkansas and looking at A&M now, I mean, the, neither of those programs is going anywhere in the long run and neither of those teams is really going anywhere in the, in the immediate that 2023 is looking very strong for, for both the hogs uh, and the Aggies. And that's uh, obviously they're not the only two teams in the SEC West that can make that claim. So it's uh, it, it's not getting any easier um, as uh, as you look at this division's future. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Um, as I mentioned, we're coming at you uh, weekly throughout the offseason on the Baseball America College podcast with our Clubhouse Conversation Series. We're, we're going to continue that on uh, next week with uh, another guest uh, from around the college baseball world, and, and we'll be keep doing that throughout the fall and into the winter. Um, if uh, you're looking for old episodes or if you are excited about new episodes, Either way, best thing to do is subscribe to the podcast, your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the Baseball America podcast. Hit that subscribe or follow button. Uh, You can find Joe and I on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. All of the written content is at baseballamerica.com. And right now you can get get a look at the – Team USA prospect rankings and uh, the Cape Cod League prospect rankings. Both of those are rolling out this week on the website. So I would encourage you to uh, go over to baseballamerica.com and, and check those out. Uh, a lot of good work done from, from Joe on the USA list and uh, Jeff Pontus on, the, uh, on the, the, the Cape Cod list. With that, thank you all for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next week on another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.